Several years ago, a man who was experiencing strife in his marriage called asking for some help. As we got acquainted during our first meeting, it, and his wife came as well, it became apparent that with three children at home, they had good reason to seek resolution in their challenges and restoration of their relationship. Good reason, and yet still, the wife uh, was not very interested. When confronted with, with God's command to submit to her husband and to do all that she could to preserve their relationship, she balked. She really didn't want to do that, and she didn't think that would work. She had to acknowledge that's clearly God's plan. That's what he thinks is the right response here. But as she considered that option, she just shook her head and said, all I see down that road is a lifetime of misery and disappointment. I think I've got a better plan. Now, I had some opportunities in the, the following weeks, but her thinking never did seem to change. She kept in reserve this other plan that just seemed to appeal to her. Her, her thinking reflects the thinking of people everywhere. We trust our own ability to discern the best path forward in any situation. Others can give their advice. Uh, We may consider, think it through, and we'll compare it with our own. We feel that we can come up with the best plan. Well, for many people, that includes the way to heaven. You encounter God's plan. Why? Humanly speaking, it's hard to see how that works. It's all based on trust in the Lord and on what he's accomplished. Nothing very tangible there. How is that actually going to change things? And so many people reject the gospel and decide a better plan, a a better hope is just to do your best and to try to earn your way there. Now, that's clearly the primary concern of the Apostle Paul in our passage today in Romans 10. I'd urge you to uh, open your Bible. It's important uh, week after week that you have your Bible open so that you compare what you are hearing in uh, in every service here as well as wherever you are exposed to somebody telling you what God's Word means, that you're comparing what you can see on the page as well. And clearly, Paul's primary concern Uh, behind this passage is people who are still trying to find their own way to heaven. 
The lost, however, are not the only people who think they have a better plan and who struggle with this issue of trying to devise in their own wisdom how to move forward. You see, even God's people, those who have chosen, and there's some irony here. I want you to see this. Those who have chosen to entrust their eternal destiny to Jesus Christ. Somehow, we still, when facing the next serious challenge of life on this earth, are not so sure that his plan is going to work out very well. Not his plan of salvation, but his plan moving forward day to day today. The irony there is that you can entrust your soul to him, but you're not sure you can entrust earthly life in his hands. But we continue to be convinced, that just seems my way is going to be better. And yes, we might have to admit, my way includes cutting some corners, uh, doing some things that might not be uh, entirely right, but it sure seems to lead to the end result. This passage today asserts by implication and by, and I would say by necessary conclusion, knowing that the, well, let me tell you what, what it asserts. It asserts that the one who can direct your soul safely to heaven can also direct your life safely through this earth. That he can get you safely to heaven is what the passage is stating. And very often we would, could, could look through this passage and think, well, that's what the point is. He's, he's just talking about salvation. But you see, he's talking about the gospel. And the application of the gospel goes far beyond just securing a place in heaven. The gospel is all about not just saving souls, but, ch- <clears throat> but changing lives. Changing lives to conform to his plan. But to make that plan work, it requires the same thing that was necessary for the saving of your soul. You have to trust him. And so that's the response that this passage calls for. If faith in Christ is the only way of salvation then you must decide to follow him. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, that's step number one. If you have, continuing to follow him, the plan that he has set out, the standards he has set before you in his word, continues to require that you follow him. Verses 5 through 7, here Paul asserts that faith in Christ is the alternative to law. Or to expand that, in his use of the word law in this passage, he's still uh, addressing the Jewish issue. That is why the Jewish people, though chosen as his people, 
continue to be primarily on the outside of his grace today. And so law is what uh, communicates that he's still talking primarily about that issue, but there's, of course, application for all of us. And changing that word law to works tends to make that clearer. That faith in Christ is the alternative to works. It's the alternative to works in regard to salvation. It's also the alternative to my plan as opposed to God's plan moving forward each day. So verse 5 tells us that righteousness by law is impossible. Moses writes, Paul uh, uh, quotes here, he writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Okay, the end result is what we want to live, to continue to live for eternity. How do you get there? Well, he states it here so simply, the person who does the commands. And that little word does so small, so seemingly insignificant, but therein lies the problem. Doing God's commands. The law requires doing all that it says. And to state it in its, in its real impact, it requires sinless perfection. Not just from today forward, It requires sinlessness, even looking back in your life. And every individual has already messed that up. The prospect for even improving that is not very great. Sinless perfection is, in fact, beyond the reach of every person. It's on that basis that righteousness by law has always been impossible, ever since the fall. The law requires sinless perfection, and if anybody could provide that, then the law would give lasting existence, eternal existence. But it never happens. This is an unrealistic goal that Moses writes about. And now, Paul sets that alongside, and he quotes another passage of Scripture in verses 6 and 7, that righteousness by faith is accessible. You can't get there by keeping the law. You can get there by trusting Christ. This is already accomplished. It's an actual reality. Interesting how he describes it. In verse 6, he says, the righteousness based on faith, as opposed to law, says this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And then Paul explains, that is to bring Christ down. Here we are in desperate need of a Savior, Because we can't keep the law ourselves. We need someone to keep it for us and someone who will pay for the sin we've already committed. So who's going to go up to heaven and bring down such a Savior? 
Well, the righteousness by faith says, don't ask that question. He's already come. It's already accomplished. He's already come to earth. He's describing the incarnation. He's already sacrificed himself on the cross to pay for your sin. Verse 7 goes on to the other key aspect of the provision of the gospel. He says, or, don't ask this either, who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. You see, it's one thing to have a Savior who was willing to come and to die, but now what's the, what's the good of a dead Savior? Who will bring him to life again? And the quotation says, don't ask that question either. That's already accomplished. God, who sent his son, raised him from the dead as well. That is why righteousness by faith, based on what Christ has already accomplished, is the better alternative to trying to earn your own salvation. Look at the contrast. On the one hand, completely out of reach, impossible. On the other hand, what is so hard is already done. You trying to do what you can't, or you simply believing what God has done. There are the options. Salvation by faith. Faith in Christ is the alternative that works, and it's the only one available. One time I had the, uh, as you know, I I lead the the Holy Land tours. I have a, a, a full tour scheduled for this May. Several years ago, I I wanted to expand the tour a little bit, but I hesitated to lead a group where I had not been. So I scheduled to stay an extra day and and explore a section of Egypt uh, quite a bit further south that I had not been to, had somebody else uh, that I had arranged to join me on this, and we spent a long, hot day in southern Egypt. They had a wonderful time. Everything we found, yes, yes, people need to see this. We need to include this on the next tour. And it was a very exciting day, but a whole day, over a hundred degree heat. And late in the day, we were scheduled to go right to the airport, and we'd already checked out of our hotel and, and head for home. A fairly long flight. The prospect of staying in the same clothes without the opportunity of getting cleaned up for the next uh, uh, 24 hours or so, it just seemed that that's just not going to work. And I started to be concerned. I was responsible for getting us home. And my uh, companion uh, on that occasion, uh, we were both concerned. I started wondering, how are we going to accomplish this? The the public restrooms at the airport? (laughs) We're going to unpack our suitcases and get clothes out. 
we don't have towels. What? I don't see a way to do this. And I started to express that to the uh, agent who met us at the airport. And he said, oh, we've already taken care of all that. He said, uh, your, your agent back in the States, he had arranged that turns out that there was a, 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 a gym, a men's uh, exercise club at the airport. He says he's arranged that you can get in there, you can use their showers, you can get changed, and he's even provided a meal for you uh, before the, you, you take off on the plane. Speak of the, the, a dramatic change from anxiety to resting. To, to go from, I can't do this, I don't see a way forward, to it's already taken care of. That's what the gospel has provided for us. I can't do it. Christ already has. Well is it labeled good news, welcome news. Two options then, and here we need to expand this beyond just salvation. That's where it starts. But beyond that, we have two options in every new difficult circumstance we face. Try to move forward in your own wisdom and your own strength, Guaranteed failure. Or turn to the unlimited grace of God. Guaranteed success. What a choice. And yet somehow we struggle with that choice. That's again the point of this passage. Now, someone could say, well, all right, I I can see that (laughs) that's the better choice, choosing Christ But how do you do that? Some of uh, uh, the best-known verses in the book of Romans uh, is Paul's response, uh, that faith in Christ is available. Here's how you do it. Uh, First of all, in verse 8, you can choose the path of faith. This is available to you. It's a choice you have to make, but it's a choice you can make. Continuing the, the thought about the righteousness based on faith, don't ask those two questions in verses 6 and 7. Instead, what does the righteousness and faith say? It says this, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Well, what word is he talking about? Paul explains, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. The word of faith, that's the gospel. The gospel message that explains that faith is the avenue to gain all of the benefits that God has provided in Christ. And you can choose that very path, the same gospel that the apostles preached. The truth of the gospel then is clear. It's already here. You've already heard it. Probably have heard it dozens of times before, but it doesn't matter how many. Hearing it for the first time is all that you need. 
From that point on, it is now clear, and the call is clear. All you have to do is it, it involves your heart, and it involves your mouth. He then moves on in this next quotation, verses 9 and 10, to encourage us that you can speak the prayer of faith. That prayer of faith is your expression that you believe what Christ has accomplished. Now, what we have in verses 9 and 10 is some repetition. It's planned repetition because the principles here that Paul is stating are so important. And in fact, he is still quoting from the Old Testament. We have a, a, a technique of writing called, and I'm sorry for a little bit of detail here, but this will mean something to some people, a chiasm. And it comes from the Greek letter that is formed as our X. What it does, it, it, it says that, and this is just the style of presentation that shows this author thought this through ahead of time. There are two pairs of lines that each explain each other. The middle two are connected, and the outer two are connected. So let's put them together in that arrangement, in their connectedness, and see how they explain each other. Let's start then in the middle of verse 9, the second line there, which says, Believe in your heart that God has raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. Compare that with the first part of verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. You see how it's, it's uh, emphasizing the very same thing in just slightly different terminology. And the point together they are making is you must believe the truth of the gospel. What God says Christ accomplished, your response of faith has to be, has to be I believe that. I, I believe it. I'm not just saying it. I actually believe that in my heart. Believe the truth of the gospel. The heart is here really the essential part. But there is a step to take. Belief in the heart can be something that comes on an individual gradually. Started out entirely agnostic about this actually being true at all. But perhaps through exposure to God's word, through observation of God's people. I, I think I, I, I believe it now. And you realize I have come to believe it. But scripture also makes clear that salvation doesn't come gradually on a person. It is the result of a choice. You choose faith in Christ. It starts in the heart, but you have to express it to the Lord. And it's that expression to the Lord that the, uh, that the, uh, the other two lines of this chiasm are striving to communicate. So it's the first part of verse 9 and the last part of verse 10. So back to verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
And then compare that to the last part of verse 10. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Once again, he's quoting from the Old Testament, and that's the terminology, the heart and the mouth. The distinction is, I believe it, and with the mouth he's saying, now I receive it. I choose. I'm telling the Lord I want that gift. Those are the two aspects, then, of trusting Christ as Savior. Believe the truth of the gospel and receive the gift of salvation. That does leave us with the question, well, does that mean you have to audibly speak out loud? Is it possible to express that prayer of faith, to ask for the gift in your heart? Well, that actually was my personal experience. I've described before the day when I I was real young in in the the backseat of our station wagon and realized that this car crashes and I die. I'm going to hell because I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. So I went to the back of the station wagon. And from there, I prayed for God to save me. I did it silently. I didn't speak. I didn't open my mouth. And furthermore, once I had prayed and was confident, I just got saved. I got back into my seat and never even thought to confess it to my family who would have been happy to hear the good news. It just didn't occur to me. And see, somebody could look at these verses and say, wait a minute, it says you have to confess with your mouth. The pastor might not be saved. Okay. <laughs> no, we're really not. Well, you might. <laughs> we're not concerned that that's actually what this is requiring. The whole point of the mouth is you have to express it to God. It's not that some other person has to hear it. And it is not as if you have to speak it with your mouth for God to hear it. He is not so encumbered. The emphasis here is that believing and that step of receiving. It's a decision. It's an event that happens. And from that moment on, as these verses say, you will be saved. Again, let's expand this beyond just salvation. The underlying principle here is that God's way works. Obeying God's word, following God's path works, even when it doesn't look like it will. Even if you were faced with a dilemma where you work, where to tell the truth might cost you your job. Well, that doesn't look like a very good path forward, does it? But the way of faith says, I'm going to just trust the Lord. And whatever the result is, it's in his hands. 
it could look like to tell the truth on your tax form is going to result in you paying a whole lot more taxes. That might not be good, but it's right. It's God's way forward. Trust in God will follow his path. And a hundred, a thousand other instances and even more day-to-day issues follow Christ. His way is best. Some might be concerned, well, how can I know for sure that if I decide to follow Christ, that he'll accept me? That's the, the, the wonderful emphasis to close this passage. Verses 11 through 13, Paul is really hammering this home in this chapter uh, to make sure that anybody that might have been misunderstanding some things in the previous chapter, this ought to be the clarifying part. He says, faith in Christ is the solution for all. Verse 11, Christ offers to all the remedy for sin. He says, for the Scripture says, and here he goes again to the Old Testament, letting us know this is not anything new. This is the way God has always dealt. The Scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, we could have preferred that he say that a little stronger at the end, not be put to shame. Okay, well, what's the positive side of that? Well, you see, that depends on what circumstance you're facing. If you're talking about the salvation of your soul, he'll save you. If you're talking about moving forward in your life with Christ and following him, even though it looks like that choice is going to end up in a detrimental circumstance for you, you'll have no shame at the end of that road. There will be no disappointment. You have no fear for that. God guarantees it. Further, that no disappointment in the and uh, the issue of your eternal destiny. If you choose to trust Christ as Savior, there is no possibility that you get to the end of that road and Christ is standing there and saying, nope, not you. You're not included. You will not be so disappointed. All believers, all who have trusted Christ, will in fact bypass the judgment It is impossible for Christ to fail. Let's continue in the first half of verse 12, where he tells us that all people have this option of entering his kingdom. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And these were the two major uh, divisions. Uh, Essentially, the Greeks here represent all Gentiles, the Jews. We know who they are. This is everybody, every category. There's no distinction in who is acceptable to God and who isn't. For the same Lord is Lord of all. 
Lord of all. There's an emphasis that those who trust him for their eternal souls now are, de- are, are committed to following him as their Lord, doing what he says, following his path. The real point here together with verse 11 is that his invitation to his grace is universal. You can have this if you choose it. And then finally, the last part of verse 12 into verse 13, he offers to all the benefits of his grace. And look how broad these benefits are. He says, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Bestowing his riches. Well, what's that talking about? Well, let's pretty much cover it all. It's everything. It's not only your salvation. It's everything necessary for your success in accomplishing his plan on this earth. His riches are abundant enough to guarantee all of that. And who gets them? Who has access to these uh, riches? All who call on him. All who make that choice. Human responsibility here, you must decide to ask. And if you do, verse 13 says, he will decide to save For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not sure about your relationship with God right now, you're not sure that you have ever trusted him as Savior. Have I ever made that choice? Did I ever make that decision? Did I ever call on him for my salvation? This passage assures you can do that now and never have to wonder again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is also assurance for those who have and are still kind of wondering. The question is, thinking back, did you call on him? Did you believe in your heart and did you express your request to the Lord? Then you are saved. That's the assurance that comes with God's promise. But one last time, let's expand this to its fuller application. You're facing a circumstance where you know what God wants but you don't really like what that might lead to. You're going to choose that, or are you going to devise your own plan and your own wisdom and your own strength and think that that's going to turn out better? Now, for each one who at that moment calls on the name of the Lord, God, I need to know what to do now. Your plan doesn't actually look so promising. Would you help me choose it anyway? Help me trust you. Help me follow you now.
What's his response going to be? On the wording of verse 13, you will be saved. He is going to decide to help you. He promises. Let's bow for prayer. Father, how we thank you for making the gospel message so clear in your word. To make our choice uh, so clear, the two options. One guaranteed to fail. The other guaranteed to work. Thank you, Father, for what you have provided for us in Christ. We are ashamed, Father, at how often it seems to us that that's the one that won't work. Following your plan seems to be risky at times. Father, we pray that at those times, you would prompt us to call on the name of the Lord, to trust his plan, to follow him. Father, we ask for your work in the hearts of those without Christ today. Today might be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.